Winning has a price. And leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenge people when they don't want to be challenged. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what's the number one way that you can build a winning culture in your ministry. And we're going to talk about the importance of culture. So stick with us today because this is a very, very, very important topic for you to be diving into. We're going to talk about what culture is. You're going to be able to identify what culture you have as opposed to maybe what you want and what you can do to change. We're going to get really specific on this episode. In this series, we are listening to Jeff's talks that he shared in 2020 to our network in regards to leading and the culture that we create. So what we are going to listen to today is his first talk where we will interject our own commentary in between. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same. Cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Our last episode was really insightful, Jason. We talked and heard from students. We talked with them about the effects of COVID on their school and campus experience. So, If any of our listeners here, if you didn't hear that one, you should go back and check it out. There is a number of episodes even just talking to those students or the youth pastors around the country in regards to the school campus, in regards to politics, which is a very hot topic right now, so I hear, or just how the coronavirus pandemic has affected the ministry, the youth ministry across the country. So if you have not listened to any of those episodes, we highly recommend you just checking in and seeing how students and youth pastors have been impacted by the pandemic that we are currently in. Then our next episode is going to be the number one cultural trait that will grow your ministry numerically. What's the number one thing you can do to grow your numbers at your youth ministry? And numbers are a crazy thing. We're going to talk about you know the good, the bad, and the ugly about numbers. But if you want to draw more students to your ministry and get them involved in one way or the other, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to get real specific. We're going to show you the number one way you can do that. Is that by adding more students? Is that how you grow numerically? Yes. We're going to show so you how. You just bring more students in. That's right. We're so you just you how to do that. You bring more votes in. Yeah. There's there's one. Yeah. Oh boy. There is one. That almost got past me. <laughs> wow. Okay. There is one trait, uh, cultural trait that will determine the size and the impact of your ministry. And we're going to talk about that uh, next time. I can't wait to get into that. As always, if you want a free resource that really is amazing for ministry and beautifully laid out, there's something you can download for free at neverthesame.org slash trend report. Neverthesame.org slash trend report. And if you go there, you'll be able to download a free version of our 2020-2021 trend report with some of the latest stats uh, on students, and it's called our Adolescence in the Church Trend Report. So be sure to check that out. Some of you that are listening may be able to take what is talked about in these podcasts, in not only this episode, but the number of episodes that are following this in the upcoming weeks, to be able to use and lead your own leaders 
in times that you may gather with your adult leaders and, and pour into them. And so a lot of this is not just for you, but it's also for leadership across youth ministry. So for today, you may have heard in the intro, we are going to be listening to a talk that Jeff has given in regards to winning culture. And we are just going to pause it and provide our own commentary on top of this talk. And so you will hear us cut in and out in hopes to get more breath, more depth, and just more clarity in some of these things that are being talked about today. I think of all the championships that we've won, this is the toughest. You may or may not have recently seen the the Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan, but I'm assuming you're going to know who I'm talking about when I say Michael Jordan. Considered by most, and myself, I will say the greatest basketball player ever, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Who would be the third? Oh, boy. Who would be the third? Yeah, not second, but third. Who would be third? <laughs> LeBron. LeBron James. LeBron would be third. Yes. So who would then be second? Reggie Miller. Okay. All right. I don't know much about Reggie Miller. I know you grew up with the uh, the fandom of Indiana. Of course. So I know that he played for that team. Best uh, 30 for 30 <laughs> out there. Reggie Miller. In the so Knicks he beats the out 90s. LeBron. In my book. And beats out Kobe. In my book. Rest in peace? Yeah, in my book. All right. That documentary is really fun to watch for me going back to like 80s and 90s NBA basketball, which I love. That documentary highlights something that's worth us taking the time to talk about today, and that is winning culture. What I want to talk to you about in this series of videos is how to build a winning culture in your ministry. How do we do that? Michael Jordan brought with him a winning culture culture and attitude and I want to talk to you today about the number one way you can build a winning culture in your ministry now here's here's the reality in my opinion culture is greater than leadership and here's why because the culture that you create will impact more lives than the things that you say or do that that right there you know I've, I've preached hundreds maybe even thousands of messages Jason you've you've done the same not thousands, no. Not thousands, but maybe hundreds. Hundreds. And when you think about all the words that we say, it's what actions that we took. It's the environment in which we gave those talks. It's the relationships that were formed outside of our platform and public ministry that that really created something important. And, you know, when you look at when you look at what Michael Jordan did to the Bulls, you look at any great player right now as we're recording this, Tom Brady just went from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. And they had a winning culture in New England. Now they don't. Great players take with them winning cultures because they demand it. They expect it. And that's one of the balances that we have to play as youth workers and youth leaders, and particularly those of you listening that are youth pastors that are in this role vocationally, I think um, my my number one description of pastor 
if I could if I could boil it down in one a one word definition it would be the word shepherd. I think shepherd is is the most descriptive and accurate thing. And you know a lot of t- for the last 20 years in church culture in the United States it's been a lot of people would say well, if I could boil it down to one word it would be leader. That a pastor is a leader and a pastor should be a leader. But one of the parts of of leadership and shepherding combined is you create a culture around you and that's what we're talking about today that's so important well it it may sound cliche but it's the the number of students that don't remember what you talked about but how they felt and how they were experiencing your environment that you've created as a leader uh makes the difference because yeah you mentioned you've talked gave messages hundreds thousands of times or hundreds of thousands of times or hundred thousand times I don't know what number many, you're not that many, but a lot. a lot. And you may ask students that have heard you talk through four, eight years of ministry while they're underneath your leadership. And they may never be able to pull uh, something that you said specifically, but they know how you led and the culture that they were experiencing while you were there and while they were there. And so it, it's the, what is the cliche? They don't care how, how much you know, how much you know until they know how much you care. So I got back to that cliche. You did. Think about it. The culture that you create in your ministry will overcome and surpass your actions and your words because it is an encompassing environment that you're creating. Now, when I say culture, I'm talking about an environment that's created by the beliefs and the behaviors of a group of people or a community. That's what culture is. And I think the thing we ought to ask ourselves is, how do you create or change culture in your ministry? Because if we're honest, you may look at the things you're doing right now in your your ministry, you may say, I don't know if there's a culture that I really am totally satisfied with. Do you think that's prevalent in youth pastors, that they don't know of a culture that they would be satisfied with? In their youth ministry? In their youth ministry. I would say, I don't know if this answers your question, but I would say the majority of youth pastors that I've interacted with over my 30 years have not been content with the culture. They've not said it directly, but I, I sense it. I hear it in the comments and the reactions that they're not satisfied with the culture that um, is set in their youth ministry. Do you think that they know what they want when they become a youth pastor? Uh no, I don't. I think I think they I think most like most people, you know, if if you don't create a target, you'll you'll hit every time. Right. You know, it's that idea. Yeah. And I, I think most ministers and youth workers, I don't think they realize I don't think they set their cultural goals. I think they may set other goals like I'm gonna set a numeric goal or I'm gonna set, you know, whatever it is. I want to get this many students going to retreat this year, right. our attendance or this many baptisms or yeah, baptisms or volunteers or whatever. Yep. But I think cultural goals and you may say, well, what's a cultural goal? I'll give you an example that 20 years ago, I set a cultural goal where I said, we're going to make Bible reading part of our culture, this ministry. And man, I had to fight for that. And it sounds crazy. You think, oh, everybody's going to be on board for that. But when you start pushing it, when you start holding people accountable for the things that they said they want to do, 
when you start doing that, believe it or not, I had some intense conversations with some of my volunteers going, Jeff, you're pushing too hard. And I said, this is what we're going to fight for. This is a battle we're going to fight for. So when you think about cultural goals, it might be, you know, that we create an environment where um, inviting our students is not only encouraged, but it's a strong part of what we do. Or you share the gospel or we're a serving community or we're a Bible reading community. And obviously you can pick more than one. It's whatever you want to pick. You can't pick everything. But but culture, you know, um, that definition, again, it's it's an environment created by the beliefs and the behaviors of a community. And when you're in a community for so long, sometimes you get immune to the environment around you because you, you can't see it because you're a part of it. So you would say a youth pastor might develop their desire for a certain culture over time. I guess I asked because when I first stepped into full-time youth ministry, I didn't, I didn't have cultural goals. I wasn't trying to establish a certain culture. I didn't know what I wanted necessarily, but over time I saw myself going, I want to be able to do this. I want this environment to look this way or uh, feel this way, or my leaders to know that they have the empowerment to do this. And, uh, all that stuff, but I, I remember that first year stepping in as full time and going, I'm just trying to keep my head above yeah, water. Yeah, you're trying to survive and figure it out. And and that's and that's really true. And I think um, a lot of those things, Jason, you asked, do people know? I think I think if you were to dig in and and mine it out, you could you could find it. If if you were to sit down with a youth pastor and interview them and say, What do you really want this to be? But I think a lot of times we don't lead with that in our consciousness it's a subconscious thing and so we're going i want this you know internally you're you're battling it maybe but you don't you don't ever really express or you don't define it or you don't set any kind of patterns or programs or procedures to be able to build that culture you just want it to happen and and you can do that you can do it just through osmosis and through just charisma so to speak but um and grit, you know, you can do it that way, but but it's way better if you can articulate it, you know, map it out, describe it, show it, that type of thing. So it's about being intentional in your thought, what you desire, and taking the time to think through that yeah. cultural goal. That's right. And so as we're as we're going through this now, I mean, my goal for sharing these thoughts to all of our NTS camp network and doing here on the podcast is that so leaders would start to think about culture because I really think culture influences way more than leadership does. Leadership only goes so far because like I said, uh, like when Michael Jordan, going back to him, when he went to the Wizards, you know, eventually I think the culture there, he just couldn't overcome it for a lot of reasons. His age, you know, he is more um, injury prone towards the end of his career. When he went to the Bulls, he he was a you know unstoppable force to shape that culture, but he couldn't change the culture of the Wizards. It was time, and it was just other factors. I think he also went into the, the Bulls with a mindset of that, like he he already believed in some of these things, and he probably experienced resistance as yes. a a rookie, and yet he was still determined to create that culture and over a course of time, yeah, you see that play out for sure. So you remember his Bulls days, 
But everyone likes to forget the Wizard days because they weren't a winning team. And that's because, you know, again, for a combination of reasons, he couldn't create a winning culture there. And so in ministries, you know, what I say to leaders is work more um, or as much at least on building your culture than you are building your, yourself as a leader because your leadership only goes so far. If it's in a, a losing culture, it doesn't matter how great you are, you're not going to win. Didn't he also play for the White Sox? He did. And sometimes we can give in to that. We can just settle with what we have rather than building or creating something that we want. So how do we change culture? Well, let me give you this statement. Culture changes when one person has unshakable conviction. And in any ministry, organization, whatever it may be of any size, here's the truth that I believe. It doesn't matter how large or small this organization or ministry might be, one person can change the culture of that if they have unshakable conviction. So I want to ask you. Let's talk about conviction. Yeah. I think just that word alone is a little bit more foreign to maybe a lot of people, maybe for students, maybe for a younger generation of having strong conviction. That is something that it's hard to teach. It's hard to put your finger on, but you can recognize it when someone has unshakable conviction about something. Yeah. I was with someone recently and they were talking, they were just really personally disappointed in Drew Brees. And we've seen this in many athletes where they'll come out and Drew Brees basically, and I, again, I'm speaking a little bit out of ignorance here because I, I didn't really, I saw a blip on the news, you know, radar a few months back, but he said something about, you know, I'm not going to disrespect the flag because I've had, you know, generations of service, um, military service in my family. And then they came out, you know, and, and he really got blasted for it. And he came out the next day and apologized. And what the person's saying, they brought this up to me. They go, Drew Brees doesn't have conviction. Because if he did about what he said, he wouldn't have backed off. Now, I'm not here to argue that. We're not arguing the Drew Brees thing. But, right. but that points out this idea that conviction says, I'm going to fight for it no matter what. I'm gonna, I believe in it. I'm going to stand on it. And that's what a conviction is. And it, Jason, I think you're right. I think... A, it, it was known maybe uh, it was a lot more prevalent in, in the past, but I think it's a really important word right now. Conviction is a really important concept that we need to grapple with and understand what are we willing to fight for and what convictions do you bring to your ministry that you will die for? And it's something that, you don't feel like you need to apologize for. I think of if I was leading out of this conviction and somebody opposes me and they are questioning my decision based on this conviction, I will then give more reason for that conviction, that stance, instead of apologizing for not having the same stance as this other person that opposes this stance, if that makes sense. And so when we have this conviction, it is, when you say unshakable, you are going to get opposition and how we react to it. And again, we're not trying to create this flack with Drew Brees or anything, but when you get opposition and it can get fierce, it can come from the top leadership. Uh, it could come from the entire group of 
volunteer leaders, it could come from the students, it could come online, wherever it is, if you are basing your conviction on something that is biblical and it's unshakable, you stand there and you you defend it. So, yeah, and, and this idea of conviction. you If you're going to lead, you're going to have opposition, even within your own ranks. And so, but you know what wins the day is unshakable conviction. Because what happens is if you're not shaken, people will either be drawn to that or they will leave. And that's where we as leaders, shepherds, pastors, youth workers, working with students, when we, when we care about it and we say, we are going to be a, a youth ministry that dot, 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 fill in the blank, whatever you want to stand on. You know, I'll use my previous example. We're going to be a Bible reading culture here. We're going to stand on that. And if people don't like that, and you say, this is where we are, then they're either going to get on board or they're going to, they're going to go somewhere else. And that, you know, that sounds awful, but that's okay sometimes. Because convictions drive us. It's that scripture, you know, without vision, the people perish. If there's no clear direction, you're not going anywhere. Conviction takes us somewhere. Think about the beliefs and the behavior of your environment and the community of your ministry and organization. So what beliefs define your ministry right now? The beliefs would be things that you value. So you might say, well, we value small groups or we value Bible engagement or we value outreach, whatever it might be for you. Think about the things that you value and then think about what behaviors drive your ministry forward. Behaviors are convictions. What I like to say is things that you're willing to fight for. What are you willing to fight for in your ministry? You might say, well, we're fighting for every student to be in a small group or every student to feel loved or, or the gospel to, to be presented regularly. We're fighting for that in our ministry or reaching out to the nominalized students, whatever it might be, whatever it issue is. I'm not telling you what issues you should be passionate about, but I'm asking you what values are you believing in and what convictions are you fighting for i guess a question that comes to mind is you kind of hit on it a little bit earlier but having multiple cultures like is it okay to have multiple cultures in your ministry or your context of having convictions towards many things or or is it just this one grand thing and may have subcultures or so within your main culture you have things you have beliefs and behaviors so you know within that is your convictions your convictions are these strong beliefs that you're going that set the tone for everything you do so so within every minister there's one culture there may be several different convictions within that so you know conviction might be we're a safe place to share we're a small group environment. That could be a conviction that every student's going to be in a small group, or we might be student leadership culture. We might be, you know, a campus-driven culture in our youth ministry. We might be, um, you know, focused on students that aren't believers. Like we're an outreach culture, and and you could mix and match. I think that's the beauty of the kingdom of God is. We're all doing the same things, in essence. We're building the kingdom, but we're doing it in our own unique uh, ways that we add to the mix. One of the cultures I had a conviction about was 
no adult leader was allowed to be alone with the opposite sex, especially students, whether it's in a car or meeting room or anything like that. And it just, it was one of those convictions that I would stand by and, and it would come up. It would be presenting in various forms that you can't always predict. But when that culture kind of bled through the the leadership and it was understood it was easier to sniff out wrongdoing, if that makes sense. Right. And when you could sniff out wrongdoing, you could address it. So when you even have this, this conviction and you create a culture around it, you can tell when it goes against culture, against what you, against your conviction, and you can address it, which we did a number of times because this is, this is wrong or this is going down the wrong road that it just doesn't look right or hey i just want to address this before it goes too far and it can protect people as well and that really brings up the question for you to consider is like are you creating or surrendering to your current culture now let's put this in in real terms here for a minute have you ever said things like this about your students in your ministry well Students are too busy for this, or students don't do this, or students aren't interested in that, or students won't do this. To me, all those statements are statements of surrender when it comes to the culture that exists, especially if they're made in a negative way. Now, we could go to the flip side of that, and let's do that. Have you ever said things like, our students are engaged in this. Our students are passionate about this. Our students are doing this. Our students are leading the way. Those things, to me, are statements of creating culture where the leader has built a winning culture where students are excited. Because one person's conviction matters. It reminds me of, of a young lady named Ethel Sager in 1910. She was 16 years old and she gave her life to Christ and her family had wanted to have nothing to do with this. And in fact, they told her, if you continue on with this faith, you have no part of our household. She went out to, a, to a, one of the meetings at a local like tent revival in New York where she lived. And her parents told her, if you go, you can't come back. She still went because she believed and she was standing up for faith. She came home to find all of her possessions out on the front porch. 16 years old, 1910, all of a sudden now she's facing life on her own. And here's, here's what happened. Five generations later, uh, my wife, which this was her great-grandmother, uh, there's a legacy of faith going from Ethel Sager, my wife's great-grandmother, to my wife and now to our children. Five generations later, because of one young lady's conviction over 100 years ago. Here's the thing. How do you create or change culture in your ministry? It changes when one person has unshakable conviction. I had to do the math with that because I was great grandmother from Ariana would have been four generations. And then I realized you said your children as that's well. Right. So that's the fifth. That's the fifth. So I was a little confused. So if anybody's listening, it's confused when you say a great grandmother, that's you having a mom and dad and their mom and dad and their mom and dad right. before generations, but you're including your kids in that. And all of her family, she led her 
both her parents and her siblings to Christ. So she actually impacted six generations, which, Crazy. but five going into the future. And I love that story, obviously, because it's a part of my family history that I married into, which is really powerful. But uh, I, I talk with pastors and leaders all the time, Jason. They say, um, they they say the negative things, you know, like where well, our students won't do this and, and we won't do that. I remember talking with someone one time who'd been a youth pastor in one particular location for over 15 years. And they said, yeah, there's not, I don't really have any spiritually deep students in my youth ministry. And I thought to myself, wow, what a indictment on yourself as a leader, that if you don't have spiritual depth and you've been there for more than 15 years, that's, that's, there's no other place to look than in the mirror. And what I, what I say all the time is there's this thing about culture. When you want to create culture, I want to get really, I want to get really specific here with everyone that if you're going to do it, you need three years minimum to begin to create culture. And so I'll, I'll talk to people and they say, yeah, well, we tried that and it didn't work. You know, we tried to be a, an outreach. We tried to really uphold that conviction. We just couldn't. Are just our students weren't interested, and and my first question every time is, how long did you try? Four weeks. Yeah, four <laughs> weeks or a semester or a year, and I and depending on my relationship, you know, is how blunt I can be. If I if I say anything right. to that boy, but I go, listen, if you're going to do something, because I think over and over, one of the most frustrating things to me when I look at youth workers and youth leaders is they they give up. They don't understand the grit, the work, the effort the labor, the the sweat that it takes to change culture. And you can't settle for where you are because I guarantee you can change anything about any culture that you step into if you have unshakable conviction. You're the last person standing. You refuse to give up. You can't beat somebody that refuses to give up. One of the arguments may be, well, the culture is always shifting. And so I want to be open to the shifting cultures as they come along. And that just shows that you don't have any conviction as well. Right. In my mind. Right. Because the conviction is going to not waver regardless of what the world is changing or the, how the culture is around you or what is new and trendy uh, and how to approach youth ministry. Um, and so when you have a conviction, regardless of the outside culture, it's going to still maintain inside your culture. Yeah, so obviously there's factors around us that we can't control in the larger setting of society that are cultural, that are changing. But and and we have to, you know, you adapt some methods and things over the, you know, over time, but but stick with something for 3 years because it really takes 3 years to do that. And you know there's an old saying Jason insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. And I I actually believe that statement is, in a lot of ways, really wrong. Because what I say is insanity is not doing something long enough and expecting different results. I think people people use, I've, I've heard people use that phrase to cop out. Well, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's like, yeah, if you if you do something over and over for just a short amount of time, you don't give enough time, of course you're going to get the same results. But if you stick with it, if you keep doing the same things over and over, and I think we default more to change too quickly. So what I say is 
if you keep doing the same things over and over, you will get different results. So insanity is just not doing it long enough. So you're saying you want all of them to be insane. Yes. Okay. Because that would occur if they did it long enough and expecting the different results. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, insanity, that idea was, well, I'm not going to keep doing the same thing over and over and expect different results. And you joked earlier, like four weeks, but I've heard that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. We tried to make that change in a month and it just didn't work. And I go, now that's insanity to, yeah. to think that you can change something because. The reality is you look at any any sphere of culture and society, whether it be technology, business, entertainment, sports, uh, the family, government, go on and on and on and on. And I will say this, if one person has unshakable conviction, they can bring about change. In, and you look at small Movements and big ones. It doesn't matter. To me, it's irrelevant how big and how many people we're talking about. It's the core of the person that is stirred up and convicted that will. So, you know, go go down the line. Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. And Who are you including in this list? I just have to know. I'm just throwing them out oh, okay. there. Okay, I didn't know because you said we'll go so down like the line. Steve Jobs. Okay, I didn't realize you know, that was a possibility. Yeah, I mean, athletes, people in technology and business you know, over and over and you go, all of them just have this unshakable conviction inside of them that says I'm not, this is, I believe in this so deeply, I'm going to do anything. And what that, what, what happens is you create this movement around those convictions. So you're talking about greats in their field. Those that we know we can recognize, we can pick and go, they, they didn't waver and they created something great yes. or they lived a great life or they they we look to them for uh expertise because they w had that conviction and they just kept going and it it creates credibility over time in my mind yeah that you know if, if steve jobs was still alive and he said now i want to do this he's developed credibility from his convictions of what the user should have in their hands or on their desktop People are going to, all right, we'll follow you. Yeah. We're going to do whatever you say because you've established it, a culture long enough and through that conviction that wherever you want to go now, whatever idea you want to develop, we're right there. We're going to follow. So this idea of, of building a winning culture, the number one way that you can build a winning culture is by having unshakable conviction. And so as you're listening to this, and we're, you know, as we're recording this, we're ending up the year 2020. And so we're going into a new year in a few weeks. And so for you as a person, for you as a leader, I would encourage you, this, this podcast episode is really meant to help you grapple with what are your, what are the ways that you're going to build a winning culture around you and your ministry? And the number one thing to me is have things that you believe in and then be willing to die for them. So Maybe as you listen to this episode, be a great exercise for you to sit down and write out what are three to five convictions, beliefs, behaviors that we want to build our culture around. And you obviously, you want to get input if you're leading others. But I would say this, a lot of times it comes down to you. And 
what you are sensing and feeling that God is leading you to. And that's an important thing when it, when it comes to that conviction. It has to be personal. What do you believe in? What are you passionate about? What do not only do you believe in, what are you willing to fight for? Because if you have unshakable conviction that will not, cannot be changed, you will create a culture that's built around the things that you're willing to fight for and that you're not going to compromise on. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.